Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. I'm excited um, to open up God's Word to you today. Everybody say good news to me. No, no, no. Like, like you actually mean it, like it's actually good news. Everybody say good news. Okay, it's better. But all of us have been in that moment, right? Right? We've been in that place where we just had ordinary life and then we got some really good news and it changed everything. We were like so excited. Everything in that moment before us has been forgotten and we are just jacked up and excited. I remember um, it was my birthday and... Uh, as my four-year-old is teaching me, birthdays are the most important days of the year. And so I, I was just having an ordinary day, you know, just doing our thing normally. Um, and we were just opening up gifts. My wife and I were married for about five years at the time. Um, and she, she had made me whatever my favorite meal was at that point. And we sat down to unwrap gifts. And she's like, okay, I have three gifts for you. Open these two first. I'm like, cool, whatever. Um, and so I opened it. And then the last one, She's like, okay, open this up. And I remember opening it, and it said something like, dude, you're going to be a dad or something, something like that. And I'm not going to lie, it took me a couple seconds to figure it out. <laughs> like, it's the wrong book, babe. But, but in that moment, I don't even remember what else she got me that, for birth, my birthday. I don't even remember what she really made me to eat. I just remember that, no word of a lie, I was so excited. I've wanted to be a dad since I was a young kid, and I, I was so excited. I couldn't help myself. I actually started to tear up, and then, I don't know, I guess I watched too much football. I just lunged at my wife, and like, I'm not kidding, I took her to the ground. I was like, I'm like, oh, sorry. But it was, it was so good, right? And there are those moments where we have good news, and they are just elated. We get so excited that it changes everything about what we're going through. And so today, I want us to take a look at some scripture. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Galatians. And I want you to know today that we're going to talk about the good news. And there is good news, but then there is the good news. See, the good news is that Jesus Christ, he is your savior and he is your Lord and he has transformed our lives. And when we live in him, it changes everything. And today, can I tell you, today can be your day. If you're walking through a season where everything feels like garbage, I need you to know that today can be the day that changes everything. If you're walking through life and it seems mundane and it seems like you don't have purpose, let you know that today can be your day of good news that will change everything. It's the name, it's the gospel, it's the good news. And so we're going to turn to Galatians 2, but we are about to jump into a serious book. The, we have to understand that when we read, sometimes when we read scriptures, right? I don't know if you're like me, you read it like a textbook. So you're like, okay, sure, whatever. But this isn't just, it isn't like a textbook like we understand in regards to school. It is alive, it is active, and, and it actually had real people write it. And it was written to real people. And when we understand those people and what they went through and the writer and what he was going through, we actually begin to understand it a little bit more. 
And so the first thing we need to know is this, is that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is the writer of this letter. And it is not just a book, like it was written as a textbook. It is actually a letter written to a distinct church, a place called Galatia, in the region of the Roman Empire called Galatia. And it was actually, it's, it's modern day Turkey. So if that gives you an idea of where it is, so this is what's happening. He's writing a letter, but he's writing it to a church that he founded. So if you ever read the letter, you'll read it and he's pretty intense. Be like, I wouldn't go to that guy's church. Be like, yeah, Paul was, Paul was intense, yeah. It'd be hard to be part of his church. But he's writing this letter in response to something. See, he planted the church and then he left it. And what's happened is quickly after he left, some false teachers came in. And they began teaching something different than what he taught. And so the book of Galatians is the response to that. So, I'm going to apologize, but not really. We're going to read a, a significant amount of scripture. Now, again, what we need to understand is when we read scripture in church, it's not a bad thing. North American, we're like freaking out because it's hard to focus on somebody reading. I get it. Me too, I zone out. I'll zone out on my own reading. It's good. I'll just focus again. But we need to understand this. When we come together as a church, we don't come together just to be a club. We don't come together just to see, sing songs and feel nice feelings. We come together to meet God. And one way God reveals himself. See, sometimes what we misunderstand about scripture is that we look at it as information. It's not information, it's revelation. So if you're reading it to know more, you're reading it incorrectly. We read this to know God more. He reveals his character in this. He reveals what he's like. He reveals how he's going to work in your life. He reveals how he wants to work through your life. See, read it like a letter written to you. It's different than reading it like a textbook for English. Sorry, English teachers. Okay, Galatians 2, 11. Paul's writing. He's been saying a lot. These people came in and they questioned his authority. They said, listen, he's not really an apostle. He's like a half apostle. So Paul got some of it right, but let, we're going to come in and we're going to fill out the rest that you need to know. So Paul, up to, verse, up to the verse 11, he's been filling in who he is, how God called him how God's fulfilled the calling in his life, how he met with the apostles and they, kept, they looked at him as equal. And then we jump into this. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. Again, this is Peter not just being a jerk for being a jerk's sakes. Um, this is actually him showing that not anyone just opposes the apostle Peter. He was seen as almost like the foremost apostle. And, and Paul up to this point, although we look at him as like the foremost apostle as he's written two-thirds of the New Testament, so we look at him as like the big deal. Up to this point, Peter is the big deal. And so when he's confronting Peter in front of other people, this is a big deal. But all he's saying is this. Hey, I need you to understand. God's given me authority and when I planted this church, I didn't plant it as just a regular man. I planted it as the apostle appointed by Christ. And let me show you what God's been doing in my life. So he says, for what he did was very wrong. When he 
first arrived, he ate with Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter didn't or wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism. Here's an interesting note. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of in your faith walk because of criticism? What are you afraid of in your, in your workplace? Walking out the faith that God's called you to because of criticism. Watch as it leads even the apostle Peter away. Man, the fear of man proves to be a snare. From these people... For from these people who were insisting on the necessity of circumcision. If you don't know what that is, ask your mom at home. Um, as a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following, you want to underline this, the truth of the gospel message. I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like these Gentiles. Now that sounds like a really mean remark, right? A uh, little context here, um, a big deal back in, in before the Old Testament, Israelites, Jewish people, were God's chosen people. Gentiles, who were Gentiles? Literally every other nation. You want to talk about elitists? You want to talk about exclusive? Yeah, that's Old Testament. That's Old Covenant. You're on the outside, we're on the inside. Oh, but thank you for Jesus. He changed it. He says, hey, Peter, you had a vision. In Acts, you had a vision of, of animals falling on a drape and God said, eat. And you had this big discourse with God and had this big conversation where you realized that actually the old law is dead and it is al you're alive in Christ no longer to follow the Jewish laws. You're not limited by those. But now... Now you have these religious people who've come in and you're afraid of them. So that's where we're at. Don't worry, we're almost halfway. He says, you and I are Jews by birth. He's being sarcastic. Not sinners like these Gentiles. Yet, this is huge. You want to underline and highlight and scribble and unless you don't like doing that in your Bible, then don't do it. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we, we have believed in Jesus Christ so that, so that we might be made right with God because our faith is in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that make Christ, sorry, would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of the law. 
I, I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. Here's the tattoo-worthy verse right here. Ready? My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat grace, the grace of God, as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. You ever feel like you drink from a fire hose? <laughs> you ever feel like you just got a whole ton of stuff and you're like, I remember being in cal calculus class um, and we had this amazing teacher, remember, Mr. Uh, Mr. Gomez. And he was just incredibly smart and, and, and he's, he just was like, you know those teachers that just know a ton? Um, and so what we try to do is just get them off path. And we would just ask him to like write out the, he would write out the equation to derivatives, if I remember correctly. And it would take him three boards to write it on. Also, it would take him the whole class. It was wonderful. <laughs> Until exam time, and then it was really bad. My midterm mark, 83. My full semester mark was, I think, 69. Didn't turn out so well. Too many, too many distractions. But here's what happened. We try to distract and we try to get focused on, on what it is and we get, actually, I just got distracted. Whoa, it just happened to me. I did a Mr. Gomez to myself. But listen. <laughs> but sometimes we, we go to the scriptures, right? And we read it and it's like calculus or it's like something we don't understand. And I don't know if when we read this, you felt like that. And so here's what I want to do. When I read this, I got three questions. So if you're taking notes, you can write down three questions. The first question is this. What is the gospel? Look, if they are, if they are arguing over this, if this is the main point that Paul is writing this letter for, then we should know what the gospel is. But even as I was searching it out this week and trying to study it, I realized, asking some questions of people, I realized it's something that we, we kind of know, but it's more like we just like stumble into it. We're like, it's uh, this and uh, it's kind of like, yeah, Jesus and love. Yeah. Right? Like, like we try to understand it and we try to articulate. I remember I was in one, in, in one interview and it was like, it was like, explain the gospel to me. And I was like, oh. Oh, blah, blah, blah. So then I just started like, in 14 paragraphs, I had told the gospel. It was great. And he was like, yes, that's right. But see, what is the gospel? Because Paul is saying, like, again, in verse 14, he says this. When I saw that they were not following the true gospel message, that's when he acted. So what is the true gospel? Well, here's the, here's the quote. Ready? Someone writes this, one scholar writes this. 
The gospel is the good news that God, who is more holy than we can imagine, looked upon with compassion people who are more sinful than we could possibly admit and sent Jesus into history to establish his kingdom and reconcile people and the world to himself. Jesus, who, whose love is more extravagant than we can measure, came to sacrificially die for us so that by his death and resurrection we might gain through his grace what the Bible defines as new and eternal life. You ever like, yeah. You ever been in those moments where you like, you hear stuff and you're like, whoa, that's really good, but do I, do I really grab this? Not like information, remember, like revelation. Do I understand the gospel truth? And maybe this is a better question. If somebody teaches a gospel that is contrary to the gospel that you know is true, do you know the difference? So what is the gospel? I'm going to do it in four words. Some of these are bigger words, um, and so we'll explain them, but they just help us see the picture. So four words. If you're going to write it down, you want to write the first one is exchange. The gospel is the exchanging life of Jesus for us. Jesus walked on this earth, perfect life. He left heaven, came to earth, lived a perfect life, went to the cross, died on the cross, so that we could exchange our life for his and we could be made right, forgiven, and walking in what God has called us to. Paul writes it as this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says this, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This is the beautiful exchange of the gospel. Look, the point of it isn't, you know, us being good enough. The point of it is, are we willing to identify ourselves with Jesus? So there's exchange. Then there's a word called justification. Simply put, if you're wanting a definition of what justification is, because it's a big word, all you need to do is write down, made right with God. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's, sorry, in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Christ Jesus our Lord has done for us. Think of it like this, a, room, a courtroom setting. The judge is God. You have everything you've ever done, all the things that you are ashamed of, all the things that you try to hide. They are put against you in the sin category. You're standing before God. It says justification is accepting Jesus in your place. And it's almost like what God sees is, is one, uh, one uh, scholar said it this way, as if he puts Jesus' glasses on and he doesn't see your faults anymore. He sees Jesus' righteousness. It's like you are made right with the creator of heaven and earth. This is what the gospel is. Then, then thirdly, it's regeneration. Regeneration is just a really big word for this. Be made alive in Christ. In Ephesians, it says, this is, the, this is the greatest part about the gospel. The gospel, when we're taught to teach the gospel, you know how we're supposed to start it? We're supposed to start it like this. You are a dirty, 
dog sinner. That's good news. You're terrible. I don't know about you, I don't enter people's houses like that. Your house is disgusting. That's not good, it's like, oh, I cleaned for two hours for that, seriously? Thank you. But that's how we start the gospel. That's not how the gospel starts. The gospel starts like this. But God is so rich in mercy and he loves us so much. That's what Andrew was talking about today. He loves us so much that in our sin, don't get me wrong, we are sinners. We have done wrong. There are things that we hide even from the ones that are closest to us, but Jesus knows us and in his love, he came to earth to make a way for us to for go from death to life. And it says this in Ephesians after that, he said, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. God's grace is amazing. It compels us to change our lives. Verse six, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus. Here's the beauty of it. It says that when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you believe, it says that you are, you are taken from death to life. When you are dead to the things of God, it says when you, when you accept Jesus, when you accept this good news for you, in that instant, you come alive. The things you used to read that didn't make any sense, they are like breath to you. This is the good news. The good news is you in yourself could never do this, but Jesus in his grace, oh, he invites you. He invites me to intimacy with the Father. Then finally, the last one is adoption. If you were here two weeks ago, I talked about this um, a lot more in depth, but it's simply this. Not only does Jesus come and die on the cross and we are forgiven of our sins, we exchange our sin for his righteousness, we are made right with God. Not only are we gone from death to life, but it says that's not where the story ended. It actually, he said, there's more. It's like the greatest infomercial in the world, but wait, there's more. And it's like this, that you are a child of God. Romans 8, 14 and 15 says not only, not only do you come to life and are in right relationship with God, but it says this, that you are a cherished child of God. Man, what a gospel. But even in that, right, the, it's like, oh, how do I articulate it? Simply this, Jesus is the gospel. His work on the cross his life here on earth, and his resurrection and glorification to the throne of God. That is the gospel. It is Jesus, and he is the one who transforms our lives. But if you're like me, you ask this question when something seems way too good to be true. What's the catch? 
I remember my wife and I, um, believe it or not, we were, uh, our first year of Bible college, we were not friends. Like, not even like, talk to each other. We had two conversations and both were fights. Um, I'm not kidding. Um, and then God changed her heart. It's so good. <laughs> good church joke. Um, but, but we had done, we were doing these pranks back and forth. And it was awesome. And we, you'd have to go out of the, you'd actually write out a release form and just say, hey, I want to go out of town. And so my friend and I just were messing with some of the girls. And so we wrote out a release form that they wanted to go to a, a place called Money Nightclub. And, and tell people about Jesus. And so they, we just sent it in, and the, the director of the school was like, what do you, why do you want to go to a nightclub? And they're like, what? We didn't write that. So to try to get us back, they, they thought they were really cute, and they, they baked us brownies with X-lax in it. <laughs> Not a lie. Luckily... I'm a cynical human being. My friends are not. Awesome. Um, and I was like, I remember I was, I was, uh, I went to go pray and I was like, this is where the discipline of prayer actually works in so many ways. I put it aside just so that I could pray. And then I was like, what am I doing? I don't trust these girls. And I threw it in the garbage. But this is, this is what we do, right? Like, like, when something seems too good to be true, we ask the question, what's the catch? Right? We all, we've all received the emails. We've all received the phone calls. We have friends that answered them and sent them money and real ways they got, they got duped. But when it comes to the gospel, what is the catch? And this is where we get in trouble. Because our human nature gets in the way of the gospel. Because... We think there is a catch, and so we, we place a catch on the gospel. And this is what happens in Galatia. It says that they actually got caught up in this other, this false teaching. It said they came in after, Peter, after Paul left. It says that the, uh, the false teachers came from Jerusalem and said, Hey, 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 wait a second. You have only got part of the gospel. Let me explain to you how you live out this real gospel. It's good that you accepted Jesus. We don't dispute that. But you know all the Jewish laws and regulations and circumcision. All the guys are like, what? Sorry. You have to follow those. Then you can be saved. See, it's, it's in us though, right? It's in us to make rules. It's in us to add rules to the gospel. Because we do it. Yeah? We say things like, real Christians can't do this. Or real Christians need to be on Bible reading plan. Or attend church this many times. Or we say, you have to do this. Or you can't do this. Or you have to act a certain way. You have to dress a certain... And we get caught up. So it's interesting. One scholar broke down the differences between the false gospel that was teached in Galatia after Paul left and Paul's gospel, which is the true gospel. The other gospel is like this. Oh, yes, of course, believe on Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. That's the beginning step. And it's like halfway 
to freedom in Christ. Let me tell you, here's the next one. Oh, you need to follow the laws and regulations, the eating requirements and circumcision. And when you follow those things, yes, at that point, after those two steps, then you enter salvation and you are saved. Paul's gospel is like this. Actually, let me just read it. Verse, seven, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus, not by the law. We have believed in Christ so that we might be made right because of our faith in Christ, not by obeying the law. Here's what Paul says. Listen, here's my three steps. Follow Jesus. Number two, you are saved. Number three, out of those two things, you will begin to follow the law. But don't get it twisted and all messed up. Your activity in the law doesn't make you better than anyone else. Paul says we've been trying this for generation upon generation and we fail. Jesus is the only way. So the question is, of course, how does this apply to me? My question is, how do you believe? How do you know that the gospel is alive in you? Is it by the fact that you attend church? Is it, about, is it by the fact that you have a certain number of friends or a certain way you dress or you follow a reading plan or go to life group? Again, don't get me wrong. These are not wrong things. But if we think we can add to the gospel so that it saves us, it means nothing. Paul says in another letter, he says, look at all of these things I've done, but I count them as rubbish. And I only want to be identified with Jesus. The truth is this, is that we can add all we want to the gospel. But it means nothing because all we have is Jesus. Now, some of you may push back and say, well, isn't that just a little bit light on sin? You know, because sin's a big deal, you know that? Hello? Yes, sin is a huge deal. Jesus, that's why we have Jesus, because sin was a huge deal. And no following of the law helped us. Jesus helps us. So if you're here and you're trying to be the right Christian, you're trying to follow the right rules, or maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, but you're trying to make sure your good outweighs your bad. That's not the scale. The simple scale is this, Jesus or no Jesus. And Jesus, the wonderful thing about him is this, there is no exclusiveness, there is all inclusion. All come to me, those who are weary. Oh, it's beautiful. The gospel is beautiful. Here's what's great. You don't work for your salvation. Jesus did. You don't have to pay for your forgiveness. Jesus did. You don't have to fight for your freedom. Jesus did. All you have to do, Paul says, is believe. Look at, look at uh, chapter 3, verse 1. 
I love it. Um, I just like fiery people. I don't know if you, I just, I just like it. I like when people give me truth and are like intense. And so I love this. Verse one, chapter three. Oh, foolish Galatians. That's so good. And another part, he says, I wish I could have written, I could write this in a different tone. But I can't. That's <laughs> so good. Say that to my kids. I wish I could tell you this differently. But you won't listen. <laughs> it's not true. I just pray for them all the time. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus' death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Now, for us, that's not a big deal. Picture, be like, we see pictures all the time. They didn't live in a culture with pictures all the time. This is like, this is like vivid imagery. You had seen vivid imagery of the crucifixion of Christ. Then he says this. Let me ask you one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed. The message you heard about Christ. Oh, fool, how foolish can you be? After starting your Christian, your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human efforts? Oh, this is good, right? Because this is us, right, church? This is us. This is me. I think if I stay up on my reading plan, if I'm, if I'm a good person, if I don't cuss, if I don't watch net, bad Netflix shows, if I, you know, all these things, then it makes me acceptable to God. No, no, no. Paul said, do you not realize? And why does he pick the Holy Spirit? Because it's the greatest gift that God could give us. God dwelling in us. This is the promise of the gospel. When you accept salvation, it says that God indwells you and that he actually comes and rests. So, so Paul asked this question. Did you follow the law and then receive the Holy Spirit? Nope. You tried. You tried so hard, but you failed miserably. You never felt good enough. And then, and then you accepted Jesus. And oh, in that moment, you had the Holy Spirit living in you. God dwelling with you. And now, you want to add to that? No, here's the gospel. Jesus crucified, raised to life, seating on the throne. That's the gospel. Do not add to it. That's all we need. Amen? So my final question is this. What is the big deal? Right, like we go through this, they're like, yeah, that's a lot of information. Uh, I kind of zoned out a couple times. It's okay, I get it. What is the big deal? Here's the big deal. Everybody look with me at Galatians 2:20. He says this: "My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me." 
Why does this matter? What is the big deal? Here's the big deal. The gospel is you dying to yourself and coming alive in Christ as if God comes and dwells with you and then lives in and through you, making you into the person you always dreamed of. So what is new? I'll highlight three things. There's more than that. You have a new identity in Christ. You no longer have to perform. We live in a world of performance. Everything is about if you, then I. If I, then you. It's transactional. You do for me, I do for you. And that's how we live and we perform and we hopefully get accepted in our performance and we hopefully get loved and liked and we perform and we continuously perform and we fail and then we succeed and we fail and we think once I hit this point, then I will be accepted. But the problem with success is that it's empty too. Because we realize that there is something deeper in us crying out. And it's Christ calling our name. So we have a new identity. We have a new nature. I love it. In, in Galatians 5, he says this. He says this. This is, this is the old nature. The nature that you guys, we all, all of us, try to suppress, right? Right? It's malice, it's anger, it's hatred, it's lust, it's envy. All these things that we're trying to shove down. But they bubble up every now and again, right? And we act out of envy. We act out of lust. And we hurt the people around us. Haha, <laughs> but, but Paul says this, those are, those are, that's the life of the flesh. You have a new nature. The new nature, oh, the new nature is the spirit, the fruit of the spirit. It's love, it's joy. It's kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And here's the greatest thing. People would say this about Christianity. They would say Christianity is about being the, a better version of who you are today. It's about trying harder not to be bad. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is about dying to yourself and allowing Christ to move and work through you. And you become the person that you could never even imagine because the Holy Spirit, as you surrender to him, he actually begins to work the things that you always desire to have. But he's been doing the work. Listen, church, we need to stop trying harder and submit more. Why is this a big deal? Because when Christ comes in us, we die, he comes alive, we have a new nature, we have a new identity, and then we have a new temple, which I can't go into a, a whole lot, which will take a long time, but look, the Old Testament, the temple was in the center of the city. It is where God's presence dwelt, and that's where people went to connect with God. But in the new covenant, when Jesus came, he said this, hey, I'm gonna make the temple of God in my people, and I will dwell there. So if you need to hear my voice, I'm right with you. If you need me, I'm there. If you're lost and lonely, I'm there. If you're broken, I'm there. If you need me, if there is a situation that overwhelms you, I'm right with you. That's the beauty of the gospel. You are not alone. You are not walking through this. So the truth is this. I started off by talking about good news. 
and the good news that changes everything. But the truth is this, all of us have had the opposite that's true. We've got a phone call, we've had somebody walk in to our lives and everything has fallen apart. And if we're honest, the bad news outweighs the good news and it's overwhelming. What do we do with this bad news? How do we manage this? Here's what Jesus says. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today, and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.